Hey everyone, welcome back to the Living with Power Hope podcast. Lena Abijamara here. If we haven't met yet, then welcome. Today is a special day. It is World Refugee Day, a day where we recognize the refugees all over the world. Uh, we stand with them, and one way to do it is to just tell the story of what God is doing among the refugees. And so you are going to have a unique experience today. You're going to listen to an interview that Gary Chapman, the Gary Chapman, author of The Five Love Languages, did with me. The second voice in the interview besides myself and Gary is Chris Fabry, who is the moderator. I think you guys are going to love this episode. We thought it was very appropriate for today. Hey, at the end of the show, I'll come back and wrap things up. Uh, we've got some awesome things for you over at SheGivesHope.com. But for now, sit back, relax, listen up, and praise God for all that's happening in the world of refugees. Our guest today is an author, speaker, and pediatric emergency room physician. Her name's Dr. Lena Abujamra, and I think you're going to catch a little of her passion for giving unbridled hope to people who are suffering. Here we're going to talk about the struggle that many have today, and it would be easier to kind of look the other way, to talk about something else, but I think this issue is really important. Well, Chris, I agree with that. You know, the fact is we are in a broken world. In fact, we are in a very broken world. And uh, our guest today is going to address some of those issues with us uh, because God has given her a passion for that. And I'm excited about our time together today. We've talked with Dr. Lena Abujamra about some of her writing and speaking. She's the author of Thrive, The Single Life as God Intended, as well as Stripped, When God's Call Turns from Yes to Why Me. She's the founder of Living with Power Ministries, and our featured resource today is a website that we're going to link to at fivelovelanguages.com. It's shegiveshope.com, and it's a way that you can respond to some of the issues that we're going to be talking about today. So just go to fivelovelanguages.com to find out more. Dr. Lena, welcome back to Building Relationships. It's so awesome to be back with you guys. We've talked about singleness and finding God's call on your life, and it seems to me that your topic today is something that grabbed your heart and just wouldn't let go. That's so true. You know, I... um it's funny. I remember coming on the show and talking about singleness and the importance of reaching out of our comfort zone and one of the gifts of singleness uh, as having more time and freedom. And I think one of the essentials of the message that Paul writes about in First Corinthians 7 to singles is about uh, using that freedom that you have in schedule and in life to help others. And so it was not long after that that I found myself sort of looking for um, ways to serve the Lord. I was sort of in a transition period in my life. And um, never in my life had planned any kind of work with refugees. In fact, I had escaped the Middle East back in the 80s and never wanted to go back. Hmm. But, you know, it's like sometimes the messages that you speak come back to haunt you. And so I'm <laughs> teaching people how to live outside of themselves and finding ways to be Christ-like and serving others. And as a single, being able to be free to fly and come and go and, and reach People and, and right around that time, uh, the Syrian refugee crisis exploded, literally exploded. And it was all those pictures that we were seeing on the web of, of people getting on boats and dying in the waters and escaping to countries where they could just uh, evade ISIS and the danger. And one of the places they were escaping was my own home country of Lebanon. And so you've got to be a little dense not to, you know, put two and two together. And I remember praying and asking God, like, God, how can I serve you? How can I help people who are needy, you know, marginalized and mm -hmm. who 
who are in a place where they could really use hope. And at the time, I know my own ministry was so much focused on hope and finding hope in the Word of God and finding hope in singleness. And and, and, and the Lord just so sort of shoved me towards this part of the world, the Middle East. And uh, and so I went on a vision trip and started a project in, in writing. We got our books translated in Arabic. And so really not quite there, but it took about a year or two before I uh, landed on um, a ministry there uh, run by the uh, Lebanese, a local church in Lebanon who was doing um, unbelievable things uh, ahead of their time with the Syrian refugees who had walked over a mountain to come to Beirut and um, or to, to, to the Bekaa Valley, actually, not quite to Beirut. And um, we just had a great synergy, and I saw the potential of starting medical clinics there. And so we started mm. going, and we've done so far nine medical mission trips, and we'll be going on our wow. 10th this September. Of course, the work has grown since then, but that's where we started. Sounds to me like you took your own advice about singleness and <laughs> utilizing <laughs> the time you have in a very, very positive way. That's uh, it's super exciting. Uh, your ministry, Living with Power, uh, seeks to help people connect biblical answers to everyday life. Why is it so important for Christians to be able to do that? Well, I think, you know, head knowledge is only going to take you so far. And I think one of the disconnects in the Christian life is when you start knowing a lot, but you're not acting it out. You're not playing it out. You're not letting the Holy Spirit take it from what you know to what you do. In fact, James would go as far as saying that's you don't know it at all if you're not doing it. Mm. And so I think one of the natural you know, overflow of like growing in discipleship and of your vertical walk with God getting stronger is that you're going to start seeing fruits of that. So any Christian uh, ought to be able to look at their life over time and see uh, not perfection, but an increased uh, fruit of the Spirit and an increased desire to do what disciples are known for, according to Jesus, which is love. And that starts, of course, in intimate personal relationships, as I'm sure, um, Dr. Chapman, you have uh, spent a little bit of your lifetime talking <laughs> about. And, and of course, it extends to your small communities around you, and then eventually, in some cases, uh, globally. And when you've got millions of people who are um, being affected by a crisis in one country, I think, uh, I think that uh, many Christians ought to be able to sit up and go, look, uh, there's a way here where we can share the love of Jesus. And then to hear what God is doing in uh, the lives of refugees, um, it be, goes beyond just wanting to help them and really seeing what God is doing and, and thinking strategically, like if God is doing something there that I want to be on that page. And I think yes. that sort of drives you to to want to not just get on a plane, but really fly there, like just really get there <laughs> as fast as possible. And so it's been really a very amazing journey that I never expected to be on. Lena, can I ask you a question about something you said just a minute ago? And as you listen today, we're talking about Syria, we're talking about refugees, but I hope you'll listen between the lines because maybe you're asking God right now, show me where you want to deploy me. Show me how I can give hope to other people. As you hear Lena's story, ask that question uh, and go to the website, fivelovelanguages.com. You'll see more about her work and shegiveshope.com right there, fivelovelanguages.com. You said something about a vision trip. So yeah. you went, you know, and it took you a year to figure out what it was. What was the vision trip and what were you praying at that time? Yeah, that's, um, I think that question that you're posing to whoever's listening is so critical because I think people think that uh, people who are doing work with uh, any nonprofit or with uh, sort of these like organizations that you sort of are, are so, 
you know, God put this idea in your head and you strategically executed it to perfection and everything came together perfectly and you're living proof of that. And that is the opposite of what usually happens. Usually, uh, God puts a seed in your heart to want to serve him and love him more. And, and the more you lean into that, the more you start asking these questions, God, what now? What do you want me to do now? And you start freeing up your schedule and your time. And so, in fact, a lot of times that grows out of brokenness. And for me, it was really a transition that was painful. And in my pain, I started saying, okay, God, I thought this is what you had for my life. And it doesn't look like this is the exact scenario that's playing out. By the way, same thing that happened to me in singleness back 20 years before, and I ended up teaching the Bible, the same sort of scenario happened. And, and the more I asked the Lord, the more he started putting people in my path and directing my attention and my heartbeat towards uh, where he was taking me. And so uh, my friends asked me to go on a vision trip to Jordan. And I went, honestly, initially, just because I liked them. And I thought it'd be a fun trip, and I'd never been to Jordan. But I started seeing the crisis before our eyes, which led me to then take a trip to my own home country because that made sense. And I spoke the language and the Syrians were there. And so I went there and said, let me see what's happening there and and more prayer and more time. And initially, um, a different line of interest that eventually uh, continued to point me towards uh, what ultimately God had for me. And so my story really is a bit of a roundabout way. And now I look back and go, my gosh, this is so obviously what God wanted me to do, but Mm -hmm. it took a while to see it. I hear you saying that uh, God's direction normally doesn't come with a full blueprint uh, ahead of time. <laughs> I wish it did, right? Every step of I mean, I think Stormy O'Martian wrote a book once that said, like, give just enough light for the step I'm on. And I've always found that to be perfect advice. Like, if I could only listen to that advice, I want the whole nine, you know, plan ahead. But God just gives you enough to go by faith. Lena, June the 20th is World Refugee Day. When you think of that observance, what comes to your mind? Well, you know, it's funny. The refugee crisis started in around 2012, 2013. Uh, And around that time, maybe in that following year, it... um, gained a lot of attention. And it was sort of, to use the term, very sexy on the news in the sense that everything was like like National Geographic style pictures, like stuff that you would just like be in awe. I can't believe this is happening. And when that was happening, um, people like understood sort of the dramatic nature of what was happening. And it was just like anything else. It was the news of the day. And now we're in 2019, and so six years have passed, and um, the UN is, is, is who has established this World Refugee Day as a day to sort of remember the plight of people who, and, and not a small group of people, but literally over 6 million people who have been displaced from their country. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and countries in the Middle East particularly are not huge. So it's, it's, it's like, oh, I have the population of a country being displaced. And they've gone to, you know, neighboring countries, whether it's Turkey. The three big ones are Turkey, Jordan, and Lebanon. Lebanon absorbed more than 2 million refugees. Think about that massive number. I mean, when you think about, of course, the United States is a bigger country, but you think about some of the issues we're looking at here and, and the numbers of people coming from the south of the border or some of the restrictions that the administration now has, you know, put about how many refugees are coming in. I think 20, 25,000 coming in. Two million walk into your country. Mm. Uh, and then, of course, Germany's absorbed a lot of refugees. But but over time, it's like illness. You get diagnosed with cancer and it's a crisis. And then you go into chemo and radiation and, you know, all of that. And it sort of becomes like the new normal. And I think World Refugee Day is a chance to stop and, and, and sort of remember and think and stand with refugees to, to sort of say, okay, this is not normal. And and what does, even though now life has gone on and, and the refugees, I mean, we'll talk in a moment maybe about some of how they're living, but sort of they've 
their normal now is living in a tent. They've got little jobs here and there. They're sort of used to having very little now, but that's not okay. And 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 people talk about them going back to their countries, but how, where, and when? And there's still problems in Syria. And so I think this day is sort of a reminder of the magnitude of the crisis and the humanity of it. Uh, these are people, men and women, with and many, many, many kids, kids who have been born in camps who now, that's all they know in their life, um, who uh, deserve the basics of life and are often not getting them, let alone, you know, being recognized as, as members of a society. Even in Lebanon, they're now considered refugees. They don't have Lebanese papers. They don't have any papers. They're sort of born in a country that is not theirs and what happens to them down the road. So I think this day is sort of a day to stand with refugees and say, look, we can't resolve all of the problems of the world, but we, particularly as followers of Jesus, uh, want to pray, want to think about ways that we can reach out and help. And, uh, and there are many, many ways that can be done. And so I think that's the essence of that day is a day of reminder and, and of remembrance of, of what happened and what is continuing to be a problem. Well, I hope that on June the 20th, uh, that many hearts in our country will be turned to the reality of what's out there. And I, I think this program and those who are listening to it, it's going to help make that happen. Uh, I, I want to ask this, why, why are Syrian refugees so close to your heart? Funnily, they weren't. <laughs> I am Lebanese. <laughs> and, and if you know anything about the history of the Middle East, it is, it is quite uh, complicated. And one of the complicated features of the work there now is that uh, Syria and Lebanon have been at odds. Uh, I grew up in the 80s. And actually, I was born in the 70s, early 70s. And right around the year or two after my birth, a civil war broke out in Lebanon. That was horrific. And it was the news of the day back in the 70s and 80s. The American um, Marines were involved involved in 82, Ronald Reagan uh, asked all of the Americans to leave uh, the Lebanon uh, back in 1982, which was a turn, downward turn in our, in our war itself. And between 82 and 87, and we left in 87, my family, things got from bad to worse. And then after we left between 87 and 91, uh, the Syrians basically took an opportunity to come into Lebanon and rule Lebanon for a while. Um, and so it, there's a lot of deep-rooted tensions. And I mm-hmm. sort of grew up with this uh, and, and a common uh, sentiment in Lebanon of hating Syria. And hmm. uh, the Lebanese hate two people, Syria and Israel. We grew up in a born-again Christian home. And so we did not have uh, truthfully, the hatred to, to Israel. We saw it. Israel is God's chosen people from the Old Testament, biblical narrative, and on and on. And so, but 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 there was not much said about Syria. And what was said in the Bible usually paints a <laughs> grim picture. So so I, I sort of grew up with this. I never want to go to Syria. People would talk about the beauty of Aleppo and different places, and I did, could not care less. And uh, ironically, the pastor that I work with uh, now, he. Uh, had the same sentiment, and many, many, many of the Lebanese leaders in uh, that country, in Lebanon now, had the same going into 2010. Now Lebanon is at peace. They've reclaimed their, you know, the sort of the rule of the country. They've managed to get Syria out, uh, but there's deep-seated emotions about that. And in, and in 2012, uh, two million Syrians walk in, right? So, so picture that. Mm-hmm. And now, as a Christian, a follower of Jesus, who claims to, we claim to love our enemies, or we ought to love our enemies and display uh, Christ-likeness to them. Now we've got these people who are hungering for even a piece of bread and uh, let alone hope. And so the church has an opportunity in this setting to act. 
And so uh, the same is said of me. I mean, the last place I ever thought I would go back would be Lebanon to work with um, hijabed women, you know, women who are covered. Uh, I remember taking flights back to Lebanon uh, on two different occasions um, after we fled the war. Once was for my brother's wedding. And, and when I would get to the terminal in London where I would have to get on a plane to go to Lebanon, I would almost have a nauseous, like I didn't, I felt so uncomfortable being on a plane with so many, I'm telling you, Muslims. And I, that was me back, you know, 15, mm. 20 years ago. And, um, you know, God's love is just so incomprehensible to me because mm. I do think there's a something that happens when you open yourself up to the love of God and you see how much he loves you, that you don't even see it happening. And I, honestly, mm. I, I, don't, I don't know when it happened, but I remember in the course of my travel back to Lebanon, uh, as now a, a person who was serious about her faith, growing in the word, started a ministry, seeking to serve the Lord, and starting to do work with refugees and seeing the importance of it and, and really seeing that, that even though they were an enemy of my country, but my birth country, that there was something divine happening. And of course, hearing the Mm. stories of conversions and what God was doing, that now I tell people, I do not even see the head covering of women. I do not. I can't even, Mm. I just see faces and lives and stories. And I Mm. I don't know that I, in my own power, had the ability to change that. I think the Holy Spirit did something in my heart, uh, Mm. opening my eyes uh, to people who are created in the image of God and who are hungering to know the truth. Uh, my the pastor in Lebanon that I work with, he always says um, that he woke up to the realization once that Muslims were a victim of Islam, and mm. in that they didn't, you know, they're born in a home just like people here are born in Christian homes and sort of a tradition that they have, and and a lot of what's happened uh, in radical jihadist Islam is um, is is not something that they asked for. They were born in those settings. They, many of the people that I meet now had never heard the story of Jesus, born in a manger, mm. died on a cross to save sinners of their sin, to give us eternal life and hope, who is alive in us today. They've never heard that. And when you see the scales fall off eyes and, and souls coming to know the Lord in masses, many, many of them are turning their lives to Jesus. It is overwhelming in its power. Mm. Mm. Am I remembering correctly that in the 70s when you were young, uh, Lebanon was a largely Christian country? At least there was a huge number of Christians there? So in, in back in the 70s, we uh, I would say there were about 50-50 ratios of Christian to Muslim. And then the, the Christians who tended to be better educated were able to leave the country and get jobs elsewhere. They were able to get papers elsewhere. And so yeah. that migration shifted the dynamic. And also Muslims tend to have a higher number of kids than Christians generally do. So that shifted things. Mm-hmm. Now the estimates is maybe 35-65 Christian to Muslim in Lebanon. Still abnormal for the Middle East. That's a high number of Christians. Many of the stuff you read in the news now. I just saw something come across Facebook a couple of days ago. Uh, it just I think it was in Christianity Today, but but one of the better-known magazines, talking about, again, the dissipating numbers of Christians in the Middle East to where it will be extinct. I don't know if I would say that, because God is at work in His church, and the church exists. Even in Syria right now, you have churches made up of all ex-Muslims, people of Muslim backgrounds, and literally all, 100% of the people there have been converted in the last five or six years. So God is at work, but, but as a culture, uh, Lebanon has been traditionally extremely open, again, compared to other places. So you'll see the extreme, you know, very, very devout 
you know, believing Muslim that is extremely strict and conservative to the other side of, you know, the Christian spectrum, which is like, wear whatever you want, do whatever you want. And, and the government will condone a freedom to a certain extent that you do not see anywhere else in the Middle East. There's a freedom mm-hmm. to evangelize, uh, Bible studies, telling people about the Lord. People always ask me, like, can you talk in Lebanon about the Lord? And I'm like, I don't know a conversation where we don't talk about religion and politics like people love mm. these conversations and so there is an openness that makes it a ripe country uh to to work with um with certainly with refugees but with any kind of ministry and a place to to share Christ's love and hope it's easy for a topic like refugees to become political and cause a lot of controversy uh how do you approach that reality I think I've noticed that to be, I was thinking a bit about the obstacles to what we're doing right now. And, and of course, anytime there's an obstacle, you tend to see Christ's power even more. Like, I'm amazed if we do more than medical mission trips now. In the last, um, we started, in fact, I, I always am amazed at how fast God has grown this work that I'm doing. Uh, we started our first trip in October of 2016. So it took a couple of years after I started visiting to set things up and whatnot. And now in two and a half years, we finished nine medical mission trips. And in that span, because we've gone back to the same location, we've built some great relationships with the local church that does work there. It's it's really bigger than a local church and yet still a local church. I see that in that they have a school now. They've gotten a distribution center and, and, and on and on. They've got a lot of things going on. They've grown into sort of a, a center, but really rooted in a local church uh, who just mm. because of their local location. They didn't move there. They were just there and God sent them these refugees. And so they've sort of had to step up and and do what needs to be done and and have seen God move mightily. And their numbers have grown because of the conversions and whatnot. And so we've paired up, you know, partners, partnered with them. And and as a result of going back to the same place, something happens. There's a there's there's a vested interest on both parties to work together. And and, and so I was asked by one of the discipleship pastors to fill a need. The gap was specifically what I think in the United States we think of as the benevolence fund, you know, that extra offering you take at the end of the month and, and you help. And so he, this guy would like go out and minister and, and the, the, the people would come to him and say, well, we've got this little need here and this little need there. And, and he barely has enough for his own family. And so he says, Lena, hmm. would you consider supporting five families? Literally a conversation on my way out of the, the church to go back to the airport to come to the United States. And in that brief conversation, we started, I took on that challenge thinking the Lord would, um, perhaps uh, use, you know, create some funds for us. Or really, honestly, Gary, my thought was, worst case, I'm a doctor, I'll work extra hours, and I'll pay for that extra commitment. <laughs> I mean, that was how little my faith was. And in the last year and a half since we started um, doing that, we've grown to uh, over 20 families that we support monthly. We do a food program. We've got um, 12 students now that we support their education. Seven are mm. in college, five in high school. Uh, we just launched in, in February and just graduated a uh, nurse's aid training program. We graduated 24 Syrian refugee woman who are we have a nurse on the ground who has done that training with them and so it's grown a lot and so 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 one of the biggest challenges I found is is this word refugee anything that we talk about on social media first of all Facebook um, they think it's political so we have to go through mm-hmm. special uh, okays you know we have to write to them and explain to them that we're a nonprofit Christian work etc and it sort of ends up taking an extra week to get it okayed even from a non-believer uh, perspective of like that word insinuates 
uh, politics. And so there's a mm-hmm. lot of red flags that go up. In the Christian world, I found that people automatically box you into a certain category of voting preference. And it's ironic because, first of all, nobody knows where I voted. Secondly, what does it matter where I voted? Thirdly, people might be surprised. That we're, you know, and so it's, it's just <laughs> funny to me because I think in my head, like, how, you know, we've gotten some pushback, you know, in different emails or, or we've, we, when we first launched She Gives Hope and we were talking about refugees, we saw a big drop in our, in our regular subscribers, but, you know, not enough to stop the work and not enough to, to, to panic and fear. And really, it's been an opportunity to see God provide miraculously, which I think is the story that God does best when you can't mm. find the resources. He sort of creates his own resources. And, and uh, But it, it, it breaks my heart when I really feel like that word carries such negative connotation, the word refugee, um, when in fact, it is just like many of us are. We had one t-shirt that we put together that said, we are refugees. We know we are all refugees. And it was based on uh, Philippians 3.20 that talks about the fact that we are aliens and citizens, um, not of this mm. world. And so there's a sense to where Christians ought to really identify with refugees because we're just passing through. We don't quite belong in this world. We're made for another kingdom. And so uh, it is not a political word, I think, refugee, but it is a Christian uh, word. And, and to love the refugees is a Christ action and not a political action. Dr. Lena, before we went to the break, we were talking about the fact that sometimes the word refugee uh, brings up a negative connotation or a political uh, identification. Uh, but you were making the point that if anyone should be interested in refugees, it would be the Christian. Because in a real sense, we are all refugees. This world is not our home. As an old song said, we're just passing through. Uh, and of course, uh, Jesus, uh, in his walk on earth, uh, he ministered to the people who were hurting. And the religious who thought they had it all together were not seen as the leaders, but uh, often as the folks who were keeping those who needed help from Jesus. Uh, In today's world, I think, particularly in America, we've heard a lot about the refugee problem in past years. And I think some of our citizens are beginning to feel like, well, that's, that's better now. Things are calming down now. It's better now. Is it better or... Uh, where do you see us in that journey? Yeah, you know, it's better. Uh, no, it's not. And and it's funny because if you ask many of the refugees, they say, we're making do, you know, and like they're so people, the human spirit, uh, Gary, just stuns me how God has wired the human nature. I really think this is a gift of the Lord it, to adjust to, to crisis and to tragedy in a remarkable way. As an ER doctor, I've seen that in people who've gone through agonizing pain. And and then you see an entire population and deal with it. And you're like, I can't believe it. And sometimes I still shake myself. I'll, I'll go, I'll take teams. We take medical teams. But now we're in the summer, I'm taking my first non-medical team to run a camp for Syrian refugee kids. We're so excited about that. And, and, and I'll take teams who come in for the first time and sort of forget what it's like to be the first time in a tent. And I will walk into the a tent community, like literally 100,000 people living in tent after tent after tent. And they're still there, like, you know, five, six years later. And and I'll sit there and sort of forget. And then I'll pitch myself and look around and be like, oh, my goodness, what is this? Like, like still the one pan, one fork, you know, like just it's shocking. And then you're sitting on the ground. They're sleeping on the like a half a inch mattress, you know, that you put up at the, during the day and then put down at night, everybody in one room. And, and I think I try to see it with fresh eyes. And uh, so is it better? I think 
people have adjusted. Uh, they're trying to live their life. Uh, kids are not in schools unless they're very, um, you know, blessed. I guess a uh, very small minority of kids are in schools. Many of them are still waiting on papers, which just sort of means like, it's like sort of like a joke, like waiting for Godot, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Many of them sort of say it. It's almost like a fatalistic, you know, oh, we're waiting on papers. Very few people actually get papers. We have seen the Lord provide miraculously that many of the Muslim background believers are, are slowly and surely getting papers to go to the West, which has been a, a sort of a bittersweet thing because they're such an integral part of the Christian community now. But uh, and and serving to disciple others and whatnot, but they also need some legitimate, you know, some connection to a country so that they can be legal and on and on. So now we see it as a gift, and God is using them. And I've heard stories of that where where uh, people who have come to Christ in Lebanon now are in Europe and evangelizing Europe, and so it's mm. pretty awesome. But you know, the the problems are. Uh, I mean, it's. I mean, the best I can to a, to a more massive degree. You think about the Palestinian. You know, crisis in 1949, and and of course, my mom was uh, a refugee out of that uh, crisis. Ended up in Lebanon, but you, you know, it was much smaller numbers. And there are some camps I know in Israel. There's some camps where people are still living, and you know, of course, they built some buildings and whatnot. And that's a completely different dynamic, not at all comparable, other than they're two refugee people. And so now you multiply that by how many, you know, hundreds of thousands of people more. Um, it's it's a massive problem. And mm. even if you say today, as of this moment, peace is established in Syria, uh, you say, OK, well, go back to your country. To what? It's utter destruction to people who have nothing. They've lost everything. And so mm. so from a, it can be so massive that the average Christian can say, OK, this is so big. It's like the ocean. I'm never going to be able to you know, add any influence to that big problem. And that's a mistake to think this way. Uh, it sort of reminds me of that. My mom, when I was growing up, would constantly, you know, even in my developing ministry years, I, I have always felt like I'm barely touching the surface of whatever it is that I'm doing. And the temptation is to say, if I'm barely touching the surface, then it's not worth doing. And, and I think that is a lie from the pit of hell. My mm. mom used to tell us this story where a man is walking by the ocean. He takes these shells and is throwing them back one by one into the ocean. Of course, it's a well-known illustration. And, and somebody comes by and says, what are you doing? He's like, well, um, I'm throwing these shells back in the ocean. And, and the guy's like, we're never going to be able to get them all. What difference is this making? And the man says, well, it's making a difference to this one shell. And... Mm. Um, And a simple illustration, but a reminder that that is how God works, is one life at a time, one life at a time. Even Jesus modeled that in his discipleship, Uh, not the masses, but 12 and 3. And and I really believe that's God's heart, is for us to find those few in our circles. And I think it's hardest to work with people who are out of our context, the marginalized, Mm. the hurting. And yet, I think that is where you'll meet Jesus the most. I think that's where Jesus spent most of his time. And so every one of us who calls ourselves Christians ought to be not helping refugees, but helping someone who needs it. Yeah, I'm remembering that in the New Testament, uh, when the Christians were persecuted, uh, God used that persecution to scatter them over the world at that time, thus taking the message to places where they would never have taken it if it had not been for that persecution and scattering. Uh, Do you see that perhaps behind the scenes of all of this, uh, God is using all of this for his purposes to bring many, many people to Christ who otherwise would not have, have 
There's no question. Uh, emphatically, yes. I mean, what's happening in the Middle East, honestly, is short of a revival. It's a revival. I mean, I, I don't know that you can say short of a revival. There's a revival happening. Uh, I mean, every Sunday, the church in Lebanon has its own. They have three services. You know, a couple of them are, you know, people who have given their life to Christ from Muslim background, but are more advanced in the faith. So it's sort of a bit of a meteor service. And then the noon service is geared to people who are still not in an accepting relationship with the Lord. So their level, many illiterate people who who have, you know, who are refugees. And so the level of understanding just takes more time to go over everything and, and explain and packed, packed 99% people from a Muslim background and hungry to know the Lord. And, and many of them, um, of course, you're hearing a lot of visions and, and dreams and to an extent that I think we, we haven't seen uh, before. And I think some of that, honestly, I really believe in that. Uh, some of that is that many of them have never had a chance to even hear the gospel story. So I think God is revealing himself afresh to people who have been in a very closed um, environment before. And um, and so, yeah, there's a, there's something massive happening. And the Syrians themselves will say, uh, and, and, and I know I've heard Americans tout that, you know, what happened is horrible. There's no justification ever. I get it. But you'll hear even Syrians say that they're grateful for what happened because it led them to know the light of Jesus. And so hmm. I, I'm not saying I would say, thank God it happened because now they know Jesus. But they're saying it and yeah, yeah. it's because they have found peace and joy and yeah. many of them tell the stories of how they first came to the church they weren't forced they walked in they heard singing they sat in the back and their tears started streaming down there's something so unique yeah. about the christian worship that moves hearts and they kept coming back because they said they would they tell me this again and again we find peace we felt we were at peace when we sat in the church and just listened and slowly god melts the walls around your heart and gives you more understanding and, and you make the step into faith as all of us have done. You mentioned that this began uh, basically as a medical missions uh, effort, yeah. but it expanded to other things. Uh, what what are the various ways that you and others who are working with you uh, working in the refugee communities? Well, the medical and dental, we actually, I partner with a dentist, uh, he and I, and his wife is his assistant. We go, we're the core, and then we take with us teams. We, our goal is to go four times a year. So I actually, in the last year and a half, left my regular practice in the ER, and I practice telemedicine now, and that is, in essence, a way for me to be more independent. So I see patients anywhere in the world, as long as there's Wi-Fi, hmm. uh, and it's been a gift. But so we, um, every it costs, I mean, we pay for meds, we pay for materials, um, um, and so we raise funds for those trips. So it's always a very practical, you know, sort of uh, people understand medical missions and the need is it varies. You know, there's a lot of chronic conditions and, uh, you know, acute care, basically just basic medical work, uh, which is, by, by the way, very similar to most medical mission uh, stuff that you see. Very, very few places are true disaster zones. Uh, when we first started going, it had more of that flavor. And now it's just a lot of regular maintenance. And we always see new people. They're not the same people coming back. Uh, we'll see uh, close to a thousand people patients in a week. So we're, we're pretty busy. And mm. then we've now, um, you know, again, we're growing, we continue to grow um, the, our ability to help people. So we sort of have different informations about all of the projects that we're doing. But the nurses aid training has been uh, probably 
my favorite new project because it's it, educating people, uh, refugees, educating people who have not been educated is a key to freedom. Now you can get a job. Now you can help your communities. Now you can, you know, it just opens up doors. And educating women is just even more powerful in a mm. setting where women are very oppressed. And what the stories we're hearing are, you know, just mind-boggling. And, and they, they're just, you can see the confidence in their faces. The, um, the graduating class, uh, every woman in that class wanted to give a comment at the end talking about um, how the program has benefited her. And mm-hmm. uh, it's, it, it, I mean, I, it, just the idea that women are willing to stand up and talk about the education they've received is just mind boggling. And so how that will play out in the years to come, only time will tell. I love educating students. I think if you can put students in school, I wish we could educate more. That is the pastor in Lebanon. That is his dream is to build a bigger school. They've got a school for, they do two sessions of 300 students each so they can educate only 600 in a setting where they've got hundreds of thousands of kids. It feels mm-hmm. like you're doing barely anything. So his heart is to build a school for thousands. Um, you know, and so we just, we're doing our, you know, again, you may say, well, what's then or <laughs> 12 or 15, but actually seven of the students we support right now are in Syria and they're going back to college in Syria in places where they are able to do that. Not the entire, the, Syria's, the Syrian war is weird. Some areas were very destroyed, others not as bad. And so, but they have, again, the, re, the economy is horrible, the resources. And so, and so we, we've been able to do so much. I mean, every single month I get reports. We usually support on a monthly basis and every month I get detailed reports of what God is doing and the message over and over again uh, you don't understand. Heaven will only reveal how much uh, your little piece of help mm. is, is making a difference in the kingdom. Uh, I love working with people who have made commitments to Jesus that we are being, you know, we know they're being disciples through the church. And when I go back, I have opportunities to go back and visit with these people and have seen this tremendous walk, not just their growth and their understanding, you know, of course, in schooling and whatnot, but also in their spiritual understanding. So it has been a fun, unexpected ride. <laughs> and uh, I'm just really uh, grateful that God has taken me a place that I never would have planned, but that has been above and beyond what I could imagine. Uh, I'm guessing that even at this juncture in your ministry in Lebanon, uh, you don't have a master plan for the next 10 years. (laughs) (laughs) It's so true. (laughs) But you are, you do have a, you do have a heart to see where God's going to lead you. Man, I, I always wish I could write a book like The Five Love Languages and all my problems will be resolved with life, right? But no, you know, God, he knows what every one of us needs. And, and the greatest, while you're helping others, what, the irony of it all is that God is working in and in you. And, and he's just growing my faith. And now I just figure, I don't know how God will do it, but I'm telling you, he does it month after month. He provides. He's such a good, good yeah. father. When was the last time that you uh, went to Lebanon? I was there in March, end of March, the last week of March, and I'm going back in July. Just looking back on that one trip the last time you went, is there anything that just particularly stands out to you that happened on that trip? Every time I go, I think it gets um, more... um deeper in a sense the the relationships are deeper the connections are deeper uh, you hear more of the stories you're able to retain more you know sometimes at the beginning it's so overwhelming but you know the things that still shock you for instance um, one incident really still uh, shook me up uh, we were my, the pastor a friend of mine and myself went to visit a family that I had not met before that we had been helping support and so uh, we pulled up a very nice building I was a little surprised and and uh, and he said no no don't worry he's just a doorkeeper he had a job as a doorkeeper and sure enough we walk into it and he's got like a one room and he and his wife and child live there well on our way we pulled up the car which is an old beater like it's the oldest car I've ever ridden in and as we got out of the car a man in a very nice car was backing out of the building and stopped us and says where are you going and the man says we're going to visit the doorman and he says 
are you his friend? And he says, yes. And so it was a very uncomfortable moment. And then the guy left and we went in to do our visit. When we went in, literally not three minutes passed before the doorman was called by that man who owned the building, who knew that the guy driving the car was the pastor, one of the pastors at the church, and told him that he would be fired because he was communing with uh, Christians. And uh, this man was of Muslim background. And so literally that afternoon, we had to find him a new place to live, a beautiful one-year-old toddler and the Mm. wife, and and just back up and leave. This is real. Like, right? I mean, this is like, you're like, oh, my gosh, now what? Mm. And I'm stressed. It's a Friday afternoon. So my brain is like, nobody's open on Friday. What are we? And the guy's so unfazed, the pastor. He's like, don't worry. We'll find something. And sure enough, two days later, the guy was out. I mean, really, it was a done deal. And that baffles my mind. Um, and wow. yet his, and I would have thought the man who has not, by the way, on the way to becoming in his stage of walk, like very early in the courses of his Christian walk. And I would have been like, oh, save the job. Like, I'm not, you know, like, like yeah. forget it. But instead, the man undeterred in, in, in wanting to know more about Jesus, undeterred. Mm, well, it's exciting to hear what God is doing through you and those who work with you. How do people support you? Uh, what are avenues uh, through which that can happen? You know, we uh, try to be creative. We understand that people have needs. And here in the United States, like I'm not oblivious to to, to people's um the demands on culture here. So really, we've tried to make a fun way to to have a support raised. We created SheGivesHope.com. Honestly, uh, it's an online merch store, really, because uh, we, we want people to also enjoy the benefits of giving, right? And so so basically, any dollar you spend in the store goes towards helping Syrian refugees. So if you're looking for T-shirts for the summer, go on the site. And we've got some that are just talk about hope. Like, you can't go wrong talking about not everything is, is language about refugees. You could wear a 2911 based on Jeremiah 2911 shirt. We've, you can wear a She Gives Hope shirt and tell people the story of what we're doing. You know, there's so many ways to help where you're just, you need a sweatshirt. Who doesn't need a hoodie, right? Fall is coming. <laughs> and so, so I think simple ways like that, we've got some resources. There's a devotional that I put together that we have on site that is awesome. I literally get so many emails about this devotional. It's called The Daily Dose and it's um, just like a little verse with a writing and then a question at the end of each day. Anything you buy at the store, hey, you, now you're buying you're shopping. You're, you're not even giving. You're just shopping, but you're also supporting and giving hope to people who need it. And so every dollar from that store goes towards the work we're doing. And I, I think this is just a fun way in our generation that we can do uh, to raise awareness, share the site, tell people about it. You don't have to spend a dollar. This is really, we just want your prayers, eh? And uh, which sounds so cliche. And yet on this side of it, I'm telling you, I would give I would give money to get people's prayers as opposed to, you know, it's so funny when you stand on the side where you actually need God to show up. You're like, wow, pray for us. But then uh, do these practical things where you can just uh, raise awareness. Now, that website is shegiveshope.com. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Lena, I'm remembering the first time you were on our program, we talked about singleness and your book on singleness. So I want to ask you a question. Do you think that if you were married— you'd be doing what you're doing with the refugees. I don't think there would be a human way. It's such a, I mean, (laughs) and and, and I say this, and I say this carefully because I know many married people who are very engaged in in work, but but it's it's so time consuming. Uh, Just by virtue of, you might have to move there if you're married, right? I mean, the flexibility of what I've been able to do, which is to continue to minister in the States. And, uh, and, and, and that's, I mean, my, my heart is still the American church. I believe we need a revival here in the United States. That's a 
whole nother mm-hmm. conversation. Yeah. But the ability to tie in both of those worlds, uh, there is no way I could do it and maintain m- mental health and the ability to decompress when you come back from a trip and all. I mean, when you see disaster at that level, I think you need uh, time alone and solitude and quiet and and, mm-hmm. and time to process. And so really God is just so perfect in the way that he ordains every part of our lives. And yeah. um, and, and, and honestly, I, I, I couldn't have written a more perfect story for my life than what God is yeah. doing. Well, I hope that the single adults who are listening to this program today uh, will just be affirmed in the reality that God does not lead everyone into marriage. And if he doesn't, there's a reason. And likely he wants to use your life in a way that perhaps would not be possible if you were married. But for those of us who are married, I hope that we hear the message that whether we're married or single, as Christians, we need to be involved in doing what God is doing in this generation. So let me thank you again, Lena, for being with us today. And thank you for what you're allowing God to do through your life. And we certainly will be praying for you and encouraging others to be involved in what you're doing. Well, I'm the one who's grateful to both of you guys. Thank you for having me on. This is one of those programs where you may listen and say, I, I, I need to do something. I need to respond. And maybe it's prayer. Or maybe you can go to the website and find out more about She Gives Hope. Go to fivelovelanguages.com. We have a link there to Dr. Lena Abujamra's site. You don't have to spell her name. You just go to <laughs> fivelovelanguages.com to find out. Or just go directly to shegiveshope.com. But we always have the link at fivelovelanguages.com. All right. Wasn't that awesome? I loved every minute of my conversation with Gary. I hope this has been edifying for you. I hope you've learned a lot. More importantly, I pray God moved in your hearts to renew your hope that he is at work all over the world in ways that you might not even be aware that he is. Hey, uh, one way that you can support the refugee work that we're doing is to go by shegiveshope.com and buy yourself a shirt. You can buy the refugee shirt or you can buy a shirt about hope. We believe that hope changes the world and Jesus is the hope, the answer to all of our problems in this world. So go on to shegiveshope.com, buy a book, buy a shirt. Whatever you do, know that when you're making a purchase, you're supporting the work we're doing there. Hey, I hope you've been blessed today. If you need prayer, if you have questions, Email me, Lena, at livingwithpower.org. And know as usual that we are praying for you, that you are loved, and that we'll catch you again next week.